Good morning. I encourage you to take your Bibles to turn in them in the book of Romans, chapter 12. We'll be looking at Romans, chapter 12, 1 through 8 today. Romans 12, 1 through 8. Continuing a series we've entitled Living Generously. Today we'll be looking at Romans 12 as we continue that series today. Talking about a generous servant, a generous servant. As you make your way there, let's pray and ask the Lord to give us understanding in his word. Father, we thank you that we have truth to guide us and to be our foundation. Father, we acknowledge that we would be helpless, that we would be in much difficulty were it not for your kindness in giving us your word. So Lord, as we have the privilege now to open it and to read it and to be informed and instructed by it, Lord, I pray that our lives would be changed. God, that we would not merely be hearers of the word, but God, that by your grace we would also be doers of the word. So Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When you think about the topic of generosity, what is usually the first thing that comes to your mind? Come on. Money. Thank you. Money. It's certainly true that we can be a financially generous people. And just in case you're wondering, we'll get to money in a few weeks. So we're getting there, but we're not there yet. But, you know, someone can be financially generous and ungenerous in many other ways. Someone can be financially generous and relationally or emotionally ungenerous. They might could write checks for millions or thousands just at a whim, but be the rudest and most difficult person to have to relate to. Someone can be generous with their money, but ungenerous even with their time and their talents. And so when it comes to the topic of generosity, as Christians, I believe we need to think on a much wider scale than just money, although we will include that later on in our series in a week or two. Again, we're going to, 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 uh, we're going to seek to understand what it means to be financially generous people and how that's informed and instructed and, and, and how we're to be led by God's word towards that, but living generously as Christians requires much more than a quick look at your checkbook. Although it is true, a quick look at your checkbook will have a lot to say about how you live out your Christian life. Living generously requires much more than just a quick evaluation of your finances, and so when we think about generosity, While it does include our finances, include our resources, it goes much further. It also includes our gifts, our time, and how we are to relate to others and care for others. And so with that in mind, we're turning our attention today to the 12th chapter of Romans, and we'll be looking at the first eight verses, more specifically verses 3 through 8, but I want to begin reading in verse 1. Paul 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins in chapter 12, verse 1, by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. When we come to the 12th chapter of Romans, we know that we're not beginning at the beginning of Romans, so it would probably do us some good to kind of understand what's going on in the book. Romans is nicely divided, if you want to think of it this way, into two sections. Chapters 1 through 11, we could basically summarize those chapters by saying chapters 1 through 11 is the gospel explained, chapters 12 through 16, the gospel applied. The gospel explained, chapters 1 through 11. The gospel applied, chapters 12 through 16. Doesn't mean there's not application in chapters 1 through 11. It most certainly is. But what Paul is doing here is he has, been, he has spent the first 11 chapters just beautifully describing the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ and how he, has, he is the solution for, for sinners. He's unpacked that in a beautiful, beautiful way in the first 11 chapters. And then you get to chapter 12, and there we see Paul uses this word we see there in the first line, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. That word therefore is therefore a reason, right? <laughs> it means that he's about to, what he's about to say is connected to and the fruit of everything he's previously said. Right? And so chapters 1 through 11 is now going to inform what he's about to unfold for us in chapters 12 through 16. So therefore, Paul is saying, understand the gospel has impact, it has application, and as he reflects upon that, he begins to make immediate application in chapter 12 on how we are to live out our lives within the body of Christ. We're saved by the grace of God, we're brought into the church of God, and we are now commissioned in the power of God to live out a life that is reflective of his own character. When we think about serving, which is what this text is primarily unpacking for us today, when we think about serving one another, when we think about using the gifts and talents in which God has given us, we want to think about it in a, in a right way. Service is a reflection of our transformation. When someone has been gripped by the grace of God and changed by 
the Lord Jesus Christ. They are now made a new creation, and that is often reflected in many ways, but one of those ways is how we use our time, how we use the talents and gifts in which God has given us. So, that's what we want to look at today. Another way we could put it is that generous service is a reflection of generous grace. God's generosity in extending grace to us impacts us in a way that we now become generous in our serving. So generous grace is a, is a foundation, if you will, to produce generous servants. So as we consider how Paul applies the gospel, we want to make that connection between his generosity and our use of what we call spiritual gifts in the context of the local church. We're really going to have two points. I've already given them to you. We're going to look at generous grace, and we're going to look at generous service. Generous grace impacts and informs how we generously serve. Temptation, for any of us, but even for preachers, when we think about talking about serving in the local church, you want to just get up here and say, okay, we have all these things we need you to do and help us do it. I'm not going to do that because I think it would be inappropriate to build upon a wrong foundation. So point one is just simply laying the foundation, laying the groundwork, laying the right and proper motive for which we are, we, we are led to serve, and then we're going to look at serving in light of that right and good foundation. Okay, so two points today should be fairly straightforward. Generous grace, generous service. Let's look first of all at this understanding of God's generous grace and how that informs our serving. Verses 1 through 5. So in these first two verses, just look at these very quickly. We could spend a whole sermon on just these two verses, but just these two verses, Paul is really summarizing how the gospel impacts our lives. He's, he's summarizing how the gospel impacts us. He says, by the mercies of God or in view of the mercies of God. In light of what God has done for you, first chapters 1 through 11, in light of all of that, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Got to get this in the right order. In view of God's mercies, in light of all God has done for you, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Because of God's mercy in your life, your life now will be a transformed life. Your mind will be made new, and you will no longer think in the way that you used to think before meeting Christ. It's a summary statement, these two verses, a summary statement of what our lives ought to be once we have been given new life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, an appeal is not a suggestion, strong urging here. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, in light of what God has accomplished for you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Quit living like you once did, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So really one of the first applications of the gospel is that you and I, once we have been saved by the grace of God, one of the first applications of the gospel is that we need to think rightly. We need to think rightly. We need to, to 
to, to, be, to have our minds renewed. Notice he says here, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Then in verse 3, he commands us to think with sober judgment. Twice there, a reference to the mind. Have your minds renewed, have your minds transformed, and think rightly. So one of the first applications of the gospel is to use your minds in a right way. You know, as Paul, as Paul tells us here, I think one of the things that we can take away from what he's saying is that could it be that many people, even today, don't want to think much about anything? Instead, people will often, even in the church, people will often base their decisions merely off of feelings. I just feel like doing this. Feelings aren't necessarily a bad thing, but we should not pay, we should not certainly be led by our feelings. We need a renewed mind. We need to think rightly. We need to be informed by a, a gospel perspective, a, a new, we're a new creation. And so while we don't want to undervalue our feelings, we do not want to be led by them. And so it is right and good that we discipline ourselves to think in a right way, to use our minds, to be transformed in our minds, to have a right perspective. And so as Paul begins to detail what the Christian life looks like, he wants to make sure that they have a good perspective of who they are. Right? He, he doesn't want to get too far ahead of the game here and saying, we need to do this, this, and this. He just says, okay, let's just camp out here for a minute. Just, just meditate on what I've spent the first 11 chapters saying. Think about who you are in Christ Allow your mind to be transformed and renewed. Understand what's gone on to make you a new creation. Okay, Paul does this because he knows our tendency. He's one of us, right? He, he has the same, same, same stuff we have. Paul knows the human tendency is to always think of ourselves as better than we really are. Right? He, he knows that our tendency is to present ourselves as the resume you, not the real you, right? All right? And we know how that goes. You know, you put your resume together. Hopefully it's factual, it's truthful. But I doubt that you will go into an interview or into seeking a job situation and you walk into that and you just say, you know, I'm really a terrible person. I can't believe you've even interviewed me. I mean, have you ever done that? No, we, we clean ourselves up really nice and we present everything just right on the, on the resume, and we present ourselves that way. He knows our tendency is to present ourselves to others in that way and not be honest, completely honest and transparent with who we really are. So right out of the box, he calls the believer to think rightly about himself. Now, this is huge, and it does have a direct connection with being generous in our serving, I promise. It's an important, important place to begin because he says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Our tendency is to think of ourselves a lot better, in a lot better terms than, than the truth. Don't forget Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, a couple of things we need to unpack here. Number one, we need to think of ourselves in gospel terms. How do you think about yourself? Think about yourself in gospel terms. He says that, 
we're not to think of ourselves too highly, but with sober thinking or careful thinking. One who is sober is careful, right? The opposite of that is someone who's not careful, someone just, who just goes and is uncontrolled. Think about yourself with careful thinking. And if we're going to have a right view of ourselves, we have to have a right standard, don't we? We're going to have a right view and right perspective of ourselves. We need to have a right standard. And so Paul gives us that standard right here in verse 3. He says, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We need to be careful here with this little phrase, measure of faith. Because it is not to be thought of as believers having differing levels of faith, per se. Rather, it is to be understood as the measure that is faith. Faith is the measure. We don't have varying levels of faith as far as getting us into the kingdom of God, but we have been given the same standard, the same measure, which is our faith. That's your standard. So he's saying right here, he said, don't forget to think about yourself in gospel terms. Don't forget about the mercies of God. Don't forget about the measure that is faith that has saved you, that has brought you into this family. So in other words, what he's saying is we should think of ourselves in light of the gospel. It's this gospel that we're reminded of many different truths. Again, I just referred to you to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. And if you just turn back there for a moment, we look at that together. He's basically telling us to, to go back. What he said earlier in Romans 3, verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, Righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Get the next word. Get the next phrase here. For there is no distinction. He's addressing Jews and Gentiles. He's he's trying to tell them here. Listen, there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't think about yourself more highly than you ought to think. If you're Jewish or if you're Gentile, don't think that you've kind of got a better footing or a better place than others. Listen, there's no distinction. Romans 3.23 settles it. There's no distinction. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All are sinners. All of us bear the marks of the curse. There's no distinction. So, bring that home to you today. Just, just think about it this way. Maybe you're here today and, and you grew up in church. Maybe you got the Sunday school awards, little pins. Maybe you're here today and you, you've barely had any kind of contact with the church. Maybe, you've, maybe you're here today and you've come through all kinds of struggles and regrets over your lifetime and, and you've just, you don't even know how you're here. Maybe some of you are here today and you've hardly struggled with anything. You've kind of been blessed all your life. Friends, listen, there's no distinction. When you stand before a holy God, There's no distinction, for all of us have fallen short of his glory. It doesn't matter your background or your experience or what you've felt and what you've not felt or where you've been or where you haven't been. Listen, the Bible's clear. All of us sin, all of us fall short of God's glory, no matter who you are. We're all on equal grounds when it comes to this issue. But here's the good news. Even though we are all sinners and even though our sin merited death and our sin deserves the righteous judgment that God brings because of that, God has given us a free gift. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, Romans 6.23 says, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our 
Lord. Friends, we should never think of ourselves in terms of those who have somehow earned or deserved a place in God's kingdom. Don't think about yourself in that way. All of us, all of us, if you're in Christ, all of us are here only because of God's generosity. You're in God's kingdom, you're in God's family only because of his grace. You see, because all of us had incurred a debt we could never pay back. You know what it's like to be in financial debt. Listen, our sin took us into such a debt that we would never get out of it on our own. And yet, through Jesus Christ, God paid it in full. He paid it in full. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we know that Jesus has acted to forgive that debt once and for all. And so we need to think about ourselves in those terms. And you need to think about yourself in gospel terms. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never really wrestled much with the gospel. Or maybe you, you would even acknowledge, hey, I'm not, I don't consider myself a Christian. I'm kind of interested in this. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. Or maybe I was drugged here by somebody. I don't know what, what, what your state may be. But if you're here today and you've never truly embraced the gospel, listen, there's no distinction. All of these church-looking people, they're just as bad as anybody else, right? We clean up kind of nicely sometimes, some of us, but uh, most of us. I mean, we just kind of dress ourselves up. But listen, none of, us are, none of us in this room are any better than anyone else. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And the only reason that we, any of us, have any right standing with God is because of God's grace to us. So, friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, listen. The hope that would be offered to you is the same hope that's been offered to the rest of us. You would simply trust in Jesus and his finished work, his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross for sin, and his glorious resurrection to demonstrate once and for all that he has power to, to defeat and destroy sin. And Friend, if you would just simply yield your life to him and trust in him, your sin would be forgiven, and you too would be adopted into his family. It's glorious news, and so we need to think about ourselves in those terms. So Christians, if you're, if you're not thinking about yourself in a gospel way, you're not, I'm getting there, you're not going to be generous. You're just not. You're not going to be generous, you're not going to be generous in your giving, whether that's your resources, you're not going to be generous in your giving of your time or your using your gifts. All of us are here only because of God's grace. Think about yourself in those terms. But also think about yourself in bodily terms. I know that sounds kind of gross, but listen, hang with me here. Romans 12. You could also earmark 1 Corinthians 12. There Paul really unpacks this, this bodily imagery that we see that's being used as really an illustration for what the church ought to be. But listen, just after, just after Paul reminds the believers there in Rome and us through the beneficiary of, of receiving God's word, as he reminds us of who we are. Don't forget, by the mercies of God, you've been brought here. Don't forget who you are through Christ. He reminds us of who we are in Christ. He immediately places the believer in the context of a greater whole. Do you see that? You see that here. I mean, this is huge. Too, too many people today see the church as just kind of an optional Thing or maybe an event to go to on occasion. 
If, that, if that's your perspective today, I'm not, I'm not here to, to criticize you and to, to spar with you. I'm just saying, if, if that's kind of been your mentality about the church, if it's just kind of somewhere you go to on occasion or some event, to, friends, it's not, that's not the biblical understanding of the church. Paul, notice what he does. Right here in, in this passage, he, he talks about individual believers... Notice he says that, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each, individually, each of you according to the measure of faith. So he's going from the individual Christian in verse 3 to the corporate body in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members. There's no long drawn out explanation. Paul just assumes that if you've been redeemed by the mercies of God, then you're now in the context of a greater whole. Now, while it is true that as a Christian, you have been individually chosen, you've been individually called, you've been individually redeemed by God, but listen, you were never saved to exist apart from the body of Christ. This is why we need to have a high view of the local church. I'm not saying that other ministry organizations are bad. There's many other ministry organizations that do great things to advance the gospel. Many of you serve in some of those great ministry organizations, whether in volunteering or maybe in more full-time measures. But listen, the local church is the most clear representation of what we find in Romans chapter 12. By the way, Paul was writing this very letter to a local church. And it's the local church, it's the church that Jesus has promised to build. And so, he's saying here, he says, listen, just as as you've been saved by the mercies of God, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And each of you, according to the measure that is faith, think about yourself in the context of a corporate whole. And he uses the human body to illustrate that. Just as the human body has many parts with different functions, so the church has many members with a variety of roles. Listen, one of our tendencies today, and I don't have all that vast experience in other contexts other than short-term occasions, but I think that it could, based upon what I've read and what I've heard through testimony, that, that one of the tendencies, especially in the Western church, is in Western culture in general, but I think it's bled over to the Western church, is to be overly self-absorbed and individualistic in our Christian life. That's been the tendency, is to be overly self-absorbed and individualistic in our thinking about the Christian life. And listen, that must be put to death. It must be put to death. While God does work in individuals, and while there is this personal relationship that each of us as Christians would have with God, that is not to be divorced from the context of a local congregation. So Paul's setting a healthy foundation here. He says, don't forget who you are. Don't forget that you've been redeemed by the grace of God and adopted into the family of God. Think about yourself in 
gospel terms and think about yourself in bodily terms. Listen, you have been given new life and you've been given a new family. They go together. You don't get a new life and then later on, if it's convenient, get a new family. It's not how that works. And so only until we have come to terms with God's generosity, God's generous grace, will we then begin to give ourselves generously for the good of others. Until you're thinking like this with sober judgment, you're not going to serve generously. And so that's why we have to spend half of our, our time this morning laying that foundation because, listen, we have to think from the right foundation. If you're not thinking rightly, you're not going to live rightly. Generous grace is the foundation for generous service, which is my second point, generous service. You see that? Verses 6 through 8. You see the order. I'm just following Paul's order here. It begins, he doesn't begin in chapter 12, okay, do this, this, and this. He's just spent 11 chapters unpacking the gospel, and he goes now to the practical part, by and large, and he's like, let me go back to the gospel again. You just can't lose sight of that. You just can't lose sight of who you are. Then he begins to unpack some practical things for us. We see that there in verse 6. Let me back up to verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And he gives some examples there. Listen. Generous grace precedes generous service. And as I said earlier, there are many ways we can express generosity to others. Many ways you can do that. Yes, through the giving of resources, but also by the giving of yourself. How many of us ever think about ourself as a resource? Giving yourself to serve others, beginning in the body of Christ and certainly expanding out into the world. Paul makes the point here that we are part of a greater whole. Individually, members of one another. Paul, in any, of the new, any of the biblical writers, they don't give these lengthy arguments on why it's important to be part of a, of a body. They just assume that that's what's going to happen. That's just, they're just assuming it. They, they don't feel like they need to explain that. So Paul makes the point that we're part of a greater whole and that each individual member has a role to play. So, a lot of times in the church, kind of church language, we'll say we all have been given spiritual gifts. That just means that each of us, if we're Christian, each of us have been given a a role to play in the body of Christ. We've been given certain giftings and talents and abilities and and, and, and ways to, to serve others. And some of us, I mean all of us, just look around the room, all of us have different kinds of those things. We, we play different roles in the church. But each of us have been given spiritual gifts. We've been given abilities that we can plug into the greater body for the good of the body. And so, notice though, when he says that we are individually members of one another, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that your spiritual gift is not just yours. It belongs to the church. Have you ever thought about that? I know some of you have thought a lot, of, a lot about spiritual gifts. But your spiritual gift is not just yours. It belongs to us as a whole. It's yours to use in the context of a whole. 
It's yours to use in the context of, of the church. Now, the temptation for us, even now, is to come to verses 6 through 8, go to immediately to the different gift Paul's, gifts Paul identifies here, write up a spiritual gift inventory, and start plugging people into ministry. But I'm not sure that's Paul's intention. In fact, I'm quite sure that's not Paul's intention here. While it's important that we get people plugged into ministry, that's important, certainly. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but I'm just saying I think his intention right now is just simply to, 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 to say, listen, all of us have a role to play. And, and I don't even think his, his goal here is to identify various gifts as much as he's saying through example of different kinds of gifts, certainly not an exhaustive list. He just identifies several to prove his point that we all have a role to play and we need to play it. What he's identifying here is the, the diversity of the body of Christ. He wants, to, he wants us to see that. He wants us to value that. Basically, here's the bottom line. Let me just say it this way. Every believer in the context of a church is to be a ministry provider, not merely a ministry consumer. Every believer in the context of a local church is to be a ministry provider, not a ministry consumer. Consumerism is a dangerous and disastrous mindset that has infiltrated the church. It's killing the church in many contexts today. I mean, people will approach the church like they would house hunting or shopping for a new car or trying to find a hotel first question and then what are your amenities right what do you have for me i'm not saying that's a bad question it just shouldn't be your first question what are your amenities what do you have here for my kids my spouse me what about me Listen, when we approach the church with a me-centered mindset, we are doing the very thing Paul said not to do in verse 3. What we're doing is we're thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. Instead, we should come as those who have been humbled by the grace of God, that God would even love us, much less send his son to die for us. And we should come to the church saying, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. Where can I go to work for this amazing king? Where can I plug in? I mean, yeah, ask the right questions. What, you know, who, who are you guys? What do you believe? Very important. But if the first thing people are asking is, what are your amenities? That question should come later. So, maybe you're here and you think, well, I want to get involved. I want to be more involved at Redeeming Grace. What, what do you suggest I do? Well, number one, if you're not a member, become a member. I think that's important. Just a, a way to, to um, formalize your commitment to one another. That you're agreeing to, to be in covenant with one another. But beyond that, become involved in ministry. We have official ways to do that and unofficial ways to do that. Now listen, before I get to unpacking that, remember the proposition that we're working from today. Serving others is actually an expression of generosity. So being a ministry provider is a generous thing to do. 
But the opposite is also true. Merely mooching off the church as a ministry consumer with no intent whatsoever to serve is ungenerous as a Christian. I'm not talking to, if you're not a Christian, I'm talking to Christians right now specifically. If you, especially if you've camped out in a church for a long period of time and you're just really kind of consuming and not really involving yourself. That, what Paul would say is it's very ungenerous and self-focused. Now, when you think about the role we have in the local church, serving in the body of Christ is certainly a biblical command. It's a biblical expectation. And by the way, we are blessed beyond measure to have so many faithful servants serving here at Redeeming Grace. So let me out of the box just say thank you to so many people that serve this congregation, that serve in so many ways that many of us never see. I mean, the very seat you're sitting in right now was put there from someone, by someone, about 7 o'clock this morning. The very carpet you're sitting on so you don't make loud noises when you walk around. It's rolled out by someone this morning that served you. Thank you for those of you who have invested in us in that way. Many of you were greeted by hopefully a smiling face. If you weren't, let me know. We'll correct that. We don't want to put grumpy people as greeters, okay? It's just not a good thing to do. Again, those people are serving you. Many things. I mean, right now, many of you are, are relieved that you can sit in a sanctuary because someone is caring for your children. Praise God that we have so many faithful servants that are serving, that are involved, that are, that are caring for us. Thank you for what you do. It takes a lot of people to make happen what we do here. We have a lot of gifts being exercised, but, but the truth is, is that we also have a lot of places where we need more gifts being exercised. And that doesn't mean for those of you who are already exercising three things, we need you to do a fourth thing. It means that we need to kind of balance the load out here. We need more people involved. We need, we need certainly help with children's ministry, set-up ministry, our greeter ministry, and on and on we could go. I mean, uh, we have so many needs here. But listen, even if you find yourself asking questions and, and, and saying, well, I just don't really know where I can get plugged in. It seems like every time I ask, there's, there's not a need. Listen, if you've had that experience, you don't need an official ministry to be involved in ministry. Who are you discipling? If you want to be involved in ministry in the local church, come around another brother or sister. Begin meeting with them on a regular basis. Friend, that is ministry. You don't need my permission. You don't need someone to ask you, to look at your spiritual gift inventory, to assess you. Who are you investing in? Who are you being invested in by? Simply making disciples is what is part of the Great Commission. It's the command of the Great Commission. So make disciples. Invest in other people. So you can begin serving the body in many different ways, whether formal or informal whether an official recognized ministry or not. So if you're serving us, thank you. Thank you. If you're consuming from us, glad you're consuming. But maybe it's time to start providing. But let me provide a warning. Let me provide a warning in all of this. 
There are good motivations to serve and there are bad motivations to serve. Poor motivations, guilt and duty. If you're serving the body of Christ out of guilt or duty, that is a poor motivation. Good motivations, gratitude and the gospel. If you're just amazed by the grace of God in your life, and you're so grateful that he would accept you because of what he's done through Jesus Christ, and you're just, you just want to be involved, that is a good and right motivation. If you're not being motivated by God's generous grace, listen, you will not be generous in your service. You might be serving. You might be serving. You might have even served today, but you might be serving with a bitter heart. You might be serving but not generous in your service. You might be serving, but dissatisfied in your serving. As we know what that kind of service looks like. You don't have to go to too many fast food restaurants to find that kind of grumpy service, right? God forbid that ever happened in the local church. Maybe you're serving here at Redeeming Grace, but, but you've grown tired and frustrated. And you just... You get friends. Are we ever going to build a building? So I don't have to worry about running over the kids that break out of church at the end with the chair cart. I mean, the kids are going to die one day with, by a chair cart. I don't want to kill a kid with a chair cart. Are we ever going to build a building? Or if you're in children's church serving, wondering, are the parents ever going to come get their kids? <laughs> Testimony, who's ever said that? Yeah. Are they ever going to come get the kids? You get frustrated because you're hungry. Got somewhere to be? Maybe you ask yourself, why am I the only one doing this? It doesn't seem like anybody else seems to care. Does anybody not get it? Does, am I the only one that gets it? Notice there, by the way, just that subtle pride that has crept in. Listen, all of us have said those things. All of us have thought those things. I'm not picking on any one person. I have said those things. I have thought those things. I have felt those things many times over. But listen, those are not grace-motivated thoughts. Those are not thoughts that are going to lead you to generosity in your serving. Maybe you've been part of this church for a while now and you've not found a place to plug in yet. Maybe you've not looked for a place to plug in yet. Or maybe you've looked and you've just not found a place to plug in yet. Maybe you've grown comfortable as a consumer. I'm talking to members of our church. If you're not a member, I'm not necessarily addressing you. I'm talking to members of our church. Maybe you've grown comfortable as a consumer when the reality is, is that God has called you, has made clear that you are to be a provider. Listen, both the disgruntled servant and the satisfied consumer are outside of the bounds of God's design for service. The disgruntled servant and the satisfied consumer are not within the biblical realm of what we're talking about, exercising our gifts within the body of Christ. Neither one of those are being motivated by God's generosity and in turn giving themselves to generously serve others. Friends, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
Think with sober judgment. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what it is God has saved you to. And you, friend, had nothing to do about it. Nothing. Friends, we need servants. But we need generous servants. We need glad servants. We need gracious servants. Because we have a generous and gracious God. There's no greater privilege in the world. Let me say that again. There's no greater privilege in the world than to know that we have been saved by the grace of God and gifted to generously serve in the mission of God. I mean, there, there are days that I'm frustrated and I'm grumpy. Just ask my family. But there are days that I'm just, I get paid to do this? God, you saved me. You, you, you gave me new life. You forgave all my sin. And you, you actually let me do this full time? There's no greater privilege in the world than to know that we've been saved by the grace of God and gifted to serve in the mission of God. And so here's the worst thing that could happen today. Here's the worst thing that could happen today. You may hear this sermon and you, out of a sense of duty or guilt, all right, I'll go do this. And you plug into a ministry, maybe in a nursery rotation or on the setup team, only to fizzle out over a few months. That's the worst thing that, I mean, it's not the worst thing that could happen to you today, but that's, a, that's not a good thing that could be the result of this sermon today. And I would love to see many of you plug in to all kinds of places, children's ministry, setup team, greeter ministry, women's ministry, discipling relationships, on and on we could go with someone here, our worship ministry, I mean, on and on we could go. I'd love to see more of us get plugged in, not, not some of you who are already overwhelmed get plugged in more. I'm just saying some of us more, can, uh, more of us can get plugged in. I would love to see that, but listen, here's the catch. We don't need guilt-driven, duty-caused servants. We don't need that. We need grace-driven, generous servants who serve for the glory of God and that alone. I'm serving for the glory of God. Doesn't matter if anybody else seems to care. Doesn't matter if anybody else seems to want to get involved. Maybe I am tired. Maybe I do need to look for another place of ministry, but I want to do that to the glory of God. It's the glory of God that I care about the most. I'm going to serve generously because I've been saved by the grace of God. I deserve to go to hell, and I'm not going to hell today because God loved me, and he sent his only son into the world to save me. That's grace-driven. By the grace of God, you and I have been called to be members of one another. And the beautiful thing in all of that is that each of us have a role to play. So let us generously use the gifts God has given us in ways that are appropriate to that gift for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that serving is part of our calling. And Lord, I don't know where your people may 
may or may not be with just their own wrestling this morning of serving. It may be that, and I know that there are many people in this church that are serving tirelessly and generously. Father, would you encourage them this morning? God, would you just encourage them that even if others aren't seeing and even if others aren't commending, Lord, that that it is your glory and your glory alone that they are seeking. Father, it may be that there are some simply serving out of guilt or duty. God, would you help us? Would you help us to have a better, a better motive? A grace motive. Lord, that our serving would not be merely serving, but Lord, that our serving would be generous. Father, I pray that you would raise up this congregation to be filled with generous servants. Father, it may be that there are some here today that they hear this and they know that they're not plugged in. They know that they've been consuming more than they've been providing. Father, I'm not saying that there aren't seasons for that. It may be that there are seasons right now. People need that more, but Father... Seasons are meant to be seasons. So, Father, I don't know the hearts. It's not my role to convict people, and it's not my role to, to certainly to shame people. So by your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you awaken in hearts all over this room right now, Father? Would your Holy Spirit convince people of what they need to do? God, would you help us to be generous people? using our gifts for your glory and for the good of one another, never for our own sake. Father, I'm thankful that you are so gracious and so good. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.